Oh, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to week number two of our sermon series, Don't Miss Moments. Uh, hey, quick shout out to Pastor Michael. Uh, some of you know I was kind of sick this week, so I lost my voice right after church, our 4 p.m. service. Um, can you imagine a quiet version of me? It was, it was a rough week. Someone texted my wife like, I hear you're having a great week. Uh, I was supposed to preach on Wednesday for our Lenten service. Pastor Michael, with less than 24 hours notice, filled in preach an amazing sermon, so I'm really grateful for him and our partnership. So let's, let's thank God for Pastor Michael, huh? <laughs> Boom. So I got a lot of words to use up, huh? I hope you got a, two cups of coffee with you. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone's ever told you this, but there are, there are two things the Bible says about God that you can't miss. The Bible says that God is like a treasure that's at the end of a tightrope. You ever heard that before? I mean, God is a treasure. God, if you have small thoughts of God, you don't know the Bible's version of God. Uh, In the Bible, God is the best. Just one day of being in his presence is way, way better than a thousand days anywhere else on earth. Like anything good that you can imagine, anything amazing that you've tasted or seen or experienced, you you think having a new grandkid is great? Uh Uh-uh. God. You, you students think spring break is great? Mm-mm. God. Uh, you think your favorite worship song is great or your team making it to the finals is great or the March Madness brackets where you totally dominate your family and friends. Like, all of that is good, but then there's God. He is the only one who is constantly good, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, who's sovereign, who's in control. He he loves us. He has compassion on us. He forgives us. He saves us. There's nothing in this world that is even close to just being with God. God is a treasure. At the end of a tightrope. The Bible says to get to a God who is that good, he's not just like some technical higher power. He's everything. He's glorious. To get to that kind of God, you don't just wander or meander or try your best. To get to that God, you have to walk a perfect path to get to that treasure. Uh, I think in our culture, most people don't tell us either of those things. They make God kind of nice and a little bit better, but not that good. And they make the path to God, you know, kind of do your best, be, be a good person, Learn from your mistakes. But that is not at all what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is so good. To get to him, you have to be good. Um, Jesus said things like, because your father is so perfect, be perfect. Because God is so holy, he is so much better, you too should be holy. Because God is so loving, not just some of the time to some of the people, he is loving all of the time to all of the people, so you too should be loving all of the time to all the people. Don't just kind of wander through life. If, if you want to get to God, it's like a, a tightrope, step after step, and if you can walk it to him, you get the greatest treasure in the universe. Hmm. So, what do you think about that? <laughs> uh, Kind of terrifying, actually, right? Because walking a tightrope is not like shooting free throws. You know, if I'm shooting free throws, if I hit 9 out of 10, I'm pretty good. 
If I'm walking a tightrope and I hit nine out of 10, I'm pretty dead. <laughs> I think a lot of us, when we think about religion or spirituality, we kind of think of free throw theology. You know, I miss a couple, I'm only human. I'm not a perfect person, but you, I'm going to practice. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to be like uh, Giannis for the Bucks. You know, it's just terrible at free throws, but he's getting a little bit better as the games go on. But that's not, that's not what Jesus said. It makes it kind of terrifying to think about. I mean, if you were suspended way up in the air, having to walk this tightrope to God, I mean, th- thinking of every word that you would speak, every choice that you would make, like he, he's so good. He's, he's right there, but can you get to him? But there's a third thing the Bible says that you should know. And it's this. That Jesus Christ is offering us a ride across the rope. That Jesus shows up in our lives, he smiles at us, he knows all the the wandering and the missteps, and so he says, want a ride? And imagine for a second if, if you were in that situation. You, you crawl up, you know, jump piggyback on the back of Jesus. You wrap your arms tightly around his shoulders. Imagine if you were holding on to Jesus and he took his first step onto the tightrope. Would, would you care about his choices? I mean, I, I'd be praying more than I'd ever prayed. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be holding my breath like, come on, Jesus, because if you mess up, I'm messed up. If, if you fall... I'm gone. But if, but if you, Jesus, can make it, then I get God. Yeah, sometimes in church, we think about the good news of the death of Jesus. Like he died on a cross to take away all of our sins. That's very true, and that is beautiful. But what a lot of people miss is the life of Jesus. That if Jesus didn't take every step in the right direction, if he wasn't perfectly good and holy and loving and glorious, if he messed, if he gave into temptation just one time, guess what would happen to you and to me? I was trying to think this week about how to make you care about the temptation of Jesus. He goes out to the wilderness, the devil messes with him, tempts him, tries to trick him. Like, how, how can I make you hold your breath and say, I don't want to miss this? And this is the best I got. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped out into the wilderness on this tightrope. You and I were hanging on his shoulders. And if the devil could mess with him just once, if he could wobble the rope and make Jesus slip just a single time, we would lose our salvation. But, but if Jesus would be steady and constant and strong, You and I, despite all of our weaknesses and all of our struggles, all of our sins and all of our failures, we could live every day and for the rest of eternity knowing that we have the greatest treasure in the universe. So, as we open our Bibles today to another don't miss moment from Jesus' life, let's hold our breath as our Savior walks the tightrope so we can have the treasure. Here's what we find in Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, it's the Jordan River where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So for 40 days, about six weeks, Jesus was all by himself in the wilderness, not far from the Jordan. I've actually been to the wilderness there, 
the tour buses normally drive through, they don't stop because in the wilderness there is nothing. <laughs> Actually, uh, a famous painting of Jesus in the wilderness, I'll show it to you. Here, here's Jesus. For 40 days and 40 nights, there's nothing to look at. There's no one to talk to. There's nothing to eat. There's no entertainment. There's no Netflix, can you imagine? He doesn't have a phone, a tablet, a device. It's just him. The devil waited until Jesus was bored and lonely and tired until he showed up to wobble the wire. Before I I share the first temptation, how, how do you do morally when you're tired? Right, when you haven't eaten in 40 days, how about four hours? When you haven't eaten in a long time, like loving, compassionate, patient, does this describe the version of you? Um, it's, it's amazing what happens to our brains and our bodies when we're physically not right, isn't it? I, I was actually out at a Mexican restaurant with my family on Friday. I, I speak fairly good Spanish. So I'm working on my Spanish with the waiter who I know. And uh, he, he comes back and he says, algo mas? Anything else? And I had a bunch of like fajita meat left but I didn't have any of the, the stuff that you put the fajitas in. And so I'm like, oh, I, I said in Spanish, can you bring me one of those? Um... And he looks at me and says, tortillas? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the worm. <laughs> so, oh, when the brain is tired and when you're not feeling 100%, it's amazing the things you don't, don't remember. And, and that's kind of what the devil did to Jesus. He, he waited and he waited and he waited and he tempted and he tempted, but he saved his best temptations for after six weeks of Jesus being depleted and weary. His legs must have been shaking. And here's what the devil said. Verse 3. The devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Hmm. Not quite what you'd expect. Um, I actually took this stone about 10 years ago from the wilderness of Judea when I was there. And it doesn't seem like such an evil temptation, does it? Do a miracle. You're God's son, right? Doing miracles isn't bad. What? It's kind of an odd way for the prince of evil to start tempting the good son of God. But think for a second. What was the devil actually asking Jesus to do? He was saying, Jesus, instead of waiting on God's plan, why don't you use your power to avoid this pain? And he says, if you're the son of God, if you're really God's son, then you're almighty, you can do miracles, you can do anything, why don't you use your power to prove it and avoid this painful situation that you're in? And that might not seem like such a big deal when Jesus is in the, in the wilderness, but can you think of a time when if Jesus would have used his power to avoid his pain, it would have been very, very bad for us? <laughs> Actually, when Jesus was hanging on the cross just a few years later, his enemies would repeat the devil's temptation. Do you remember their mocking voices? If you're the son of God, come on down. Use your power, avoid this pain, prove it to us. It's an interesting temptation. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I like to avoid pain as much as I can. 
I know the difference between right and wrong, but when I'm uncomfortable, when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, you know, sometimes we, we cut these little corners just to get to a place that makes us feel better. But not Jesus. I love Jesus' response, verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, so Bible quote, Man shall not live on bread alone. When Jesus' brain and body were tired, depleted, and exhausted, he quoted the Bible. He, he didn't stare at the stone and think, white or wheat? No, he, he, somehow, his weary body remembers the perfect quote from the Bible. Didn't you know where Jesus is quoting from? It's this little snippet from Deuteronomy chapter 8, but I want to read you the context because Jesus could not have picked a singular better passage in the whole Old Testament to fight back against temptation. I'll put the the verse on the screen. Deuteronomy 8 says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the, the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, here it is, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Isn't that brilliant? He's led into the wilderness like the old children of Israel. He's hungry. And yet where they freaked out and grumbled and shook their fists at Moses, Jesus trusted He was tested and he took every step perfectly to get you and to get me to God. (laughs) The devil must have gnashed his pointed teeth, but he wasn't done with Jesus. Here's temptation number two, verse five. The devil then led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant, some kind of miracle it seems, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Imagine for a second that you were homeless. Uh, You had just spent 40 days out in the cold of the Wisconsin winter. You can smell your clothes. There's a a chill deep down in your bones. Your, Your stomach is aching, begging for mercy. And you're walking downtown and you come across this big picture window of a a swanky boutique hotel and inside on the other side of the glass you see a feast. I'm talking steam rising off of the the lamb chops. Right next to the lemon pepper encrusted salmon, right next to the, the tender chunks of chicken wrapped in thick bacon, you're practically drooling on the window when a voice says to your side, hungry? You look over to see a strange man standing at the door and he said, I can get you in. In fact, I can even comp you a room. King-size bed, softest mattresses in town. Hottest shower you probably had in a long time, bud. (laughs) And your body like a magnet is drawn in his direction. And he says, "All, all you have to do You just bow down. Just take a knee. 30 seconds. It'll be over. I'll get you inside. What would you do? 
I'm not sure how temptation works in your life, but rarely when I'm tempted do I think about the long-term consequences. Like if I instinctually like want to say something or want to do something or have something on my mind, it's pretty rare that I say, all right, just pause everyone. I'm going to do a quick Bible study here to see what the scriptures say about this topic. I'm going to pray about it and get some wise counsel and wisdom from my friends. No. The temptation is more instinctual, isn't it? We, we say it and then we think about it. We're frustrated or exhausted, so we... Ah. And, and then we process it spiritually. We, we react and only then do we reach for our Bibles. And if Jesus would have done the same, you and I would have had a long, long fall. But thanks be to God, he did not. Jesus, looking at all that the world had to offer, the kingdoms and their splendor, he responded in this way, verse 8. Jesus answered, it is written, another Bible quote, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Mm. Not today, Satan. No, I, I love God and I trust God. I'm doing what he wants. I'm not worshiping you for a single second. You could offer me the whole world, but my father is my truest treasure. You could offer me all the comfort, all the companionship, all the pleasure, but I have a million times more than that in the presence of my God. I worship and serve him only. And with that amazing answer, Jesus took another step in the father's direction. Now, but the devil would save his toughest punch for last. Check out what happens in verse 9. The devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Here's a Bible quote for you, Jesus. God will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Oh, devil's pretty smart, huh? Well, you're a Bible guy, Jesus. Huh. How about the, do you remember that passage? Is it Psalm 91? Jesus verses 10 and 11 where God, who, who commands the angels, said that he's going to command them to guard you. Not just guard you, but guard you carefully. And they'll lift you up, not they might lift you up, or, you know, maybe they'll lift you up. No, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So if you love the Bible, Jesus, if you care about what is written, then jump. God's got to catch you, right? You, you trust him, don't you? Such a brilliant and evil temptation. Taking a snippet of the Bible out of context and making it say things it doesn't exactly say. You know, the devil is, has been doing the same thing ever since. Have you or, or someone you know ever taken a snippet of scripture, quoted it, and, and made it say something that the Bible doesn't exactly say? Like, how about this one? Um, God made you. Is that true? Yeah. Um, and God doesn't make any mistakes. Isn't that true? So therefore, whatever you feel, whatever you desire, however you're oriented, that can't be a mistake because that comes from God. Isn't that true? Hmm. 
How about this one? Uh, God is love. Isn't that true? And God loves us unconditionally. Isn't that true? It's not based on our behavior, our choices. Like he loves us just because he loves us. He's that kind of God. He can't love you any more than he does right now. He can't love you any less than he does right now. So, therefore, whatever you do today, if there are no strings attached, God will love you in the end and he'll never judge you, right? How about this one? Um, God already knows what you're thinking. Isn't that true? He knows what you want. He knows everything. He's God. Isn't that true? So therefore, you don't technically have to pray because God already knows what you were thinking. So don't take time in your schedule to actually do it. He already knows it, right? Or how about this one? Uh, God forgives sins. Isn't that true? He doesn't forgive some of the sins or just the kind of not so bad sins. He forgives all the sins by the blood of Jesus. So no matter what you do or how you behave, he'll forgive you tomorrow, right? So if you're being tempted, you don't really have to fight it or put it to death because he's a forgiving God and his mercy is new every morning. Isn't that true? So when you wake up, whether you give in to this temptation or not, you'll be forgiven, right? It's a hard temptation. To not just, you know, take a half truth and make it seem like the whole truth, but to take the right truth at the right time for the right person. The devil, in his cunning and craftiness, he he tried to pull this on Jesus. He snatches this little bit out of context out of Psalm 91, but thanks be to God that Jesus did not join one of the fastest growing denominations in America out of context Christianity. Instead, he responded brilliantly. Look what he said in verse 12. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. (laughs) Satan, uh, you must not have read the rest of the psalm. It's not about doing dumb stuff and having angels make up for your mistakes. It's about trusting God first and knowing that he will send angels to bless you in the path to come. It's also the same psalm about how God's people will trample on the head of the great lion and the serpent. But you didn't mention that part, did you? (laughs) Now, Jesus said, I I ain't falling for it. I'm not jumping off a bridge. I'm not jumping off the temple. That's not what the passage says, and, and you know it. And Jesus, in his perfect obedience, took us one step closer to God. And even the devil knew that Jesus was too good. He shook the rope with all of his demonic might and yet Jesus was perfectly obedient. This is why verse 13 says this. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. He stopped shaking the rope. It won't be the last temptation that Jesus would face, but it gives us this don't miss moment that when everything was on the line, when your salvation, when our treasure was in the grip. Jesus was strong. He was constant. He was good. He was obedient. And he did it for you. If you're taking notes in your program today or taking some at home, I'd love for you to write this down. When the tempter tempted, your Savior resisted. When the devil brought everything he had, his fiercest temptations, his most well-concocted schemes, Jesus was strong and obedient. He was good. And it was all for you.
You know, to be honest, I was kind of worried about this sermon. I know enough about people, I know enough about myself that I, I love, I think lots of us love things that are practical. That's why I love often, hey, write this down. Here's our next step. Here's what you're going to do. But today, I just want to be upfront and say, I'm not going to give you anything practical. I'm not going to say, Jesus quoted the Bible. Now you go do it. <laughs> I'm not going to put you back on the tightrope to walk by yourself. And instead, there are no steps. There's no homework. There's nothing to pick up on the lobby. There's no link to click on the website. No, all I want you to do today is, is not to worry about your obedience. I just want you to wrap your arms around Jesus, watch his perfect steps, and say, thank you, God. I misstep and mess up and sin so often, but, but today I'm holding on to Jesus. I'm not looking in the mirror at my righteousness, that I'm spotless, that I'm blameless, that I'm perfect. I know that I am not. That is why I'm holding on to Jesus. If God is the treasure at the end of a tightrope, it cannot be about me. It has to be all about him every single day as he steps me into the presence of the greatest person in the entire universe. That's what Charles Spurgeon did. I'm going to invite my friend Jonathan up here on stage. I want to tell you the story of one of the most famous preachers of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was powerful. He was practical through his preaching. God impacted millions of souls and countless lives. But in January of 1892, Charles Spurgeon was dying. And his, uh, his friends and his closest loved ones were gathered around him and he knew the moment was coming quickly. So what would he say? The man who preached a million messages. What would he share with the people he cared the most about in this world now that his preaching voice was about to be silenced forever? Would he talk about how to have a strong family, how to be an obedient Christian? Would he talk about the sermons he had preached, the, the churches that he had grown? No, 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 no. All Charles Spurgeon could talk about in those final moments was Jesus. Not about how Jesus had taught him to be a better person, but how Jesus had made him a perfect person. Spurgeon said this, I have at this moment no ray of hope except that which comes from my Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for guilty men. And on his deathbed from memory, he quoted the words of a, a famous hymn that we sang to begin this church service. Spurgeon said, Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Behold Jesus, perfect, spotless, righteous, carrying you into the presence today and every day of the greatest treasure ever. Let's praise him as we pray. Oh, dear Jesus, thank you for being so strong when we are weak. Um, our voices fail, our health fails, and, and sadly, our morality too often fails, but not you. 
No, you, you came into this world as true man. You were tempted and tried and hungry, and yet there you were being perfect for us. And so we thank and praise you today, God, for your amazing righteousness and for your incredible power and love. We ask you in the days to come, not just to help our steps, but to help us appreciate yours. Especially in the season as we journey to the cross, God, help us to think about our own behavior, but help us to think a thousand times more about yours. Perfect in our place. That when you hung on the cross, you would be the innocent lamb of God who could actually take away the sins of the world. Our sins too. God, if our life is hidden with yours, then every step that Jesus takes is our step. Then his perfect obedience is our obedience. Then through baptism, we are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. That's what we need. That's what we have in you. We thank you today, Jesus, for being strong, for being our perfect Savior. And we pray all these things in your name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.